with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good sunny Thursday morning. This is Trudy Clausen here with After 9, I guess. And uh, my first half hour, I have the pleasure of interviewing a good friend of mine. Uh, Bruce, Bruce, are you there? I'm here. All right. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. You bet. All right. So, um... Uh, Bruce, what's up? And uh, but how about? I mean, we I know a little bit about what's up, but let's start first with uh, who is Bruce Kidd, and uh, um, I'll just maybe what I'll do is I'll introduce you quickly. Uh, Bruce is a developer uh, from from Prince George in Prince George, and is building a is planning to build a mega huge project up in the heart. Um, but uh, there's a lot to Bruce that pe- a lot of people don't know. So. Um, I mean, we've known you now for about, gosh, I think 15, 20 years, probably 20 years, hey? Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, you know, uh, we uh, we have a big family, so I have four kids and six grandkids, and uh, we all live in Prince George, and I'd say uh, 85% of us live in the heart. Um, we started, you know, our first one of our first businesses was in the heart, and uh, we still have that. And uh, we're big believers uh, in, in Prince George. Uh, we have other properties in other cities, but uh, we always seem to find our way back to Prince George. Uh, we love it here, and uh, we want to contribute. And part of that contribution for me is uh, developing parts of uh, this area of Prince George. Well, and that has always been the thing that I've noticed about you, is your passion for Prince George and uh, and just seeing opportunity here um, that that maybe other people don't see and and that's always but so tell me a little bit about how you like about your first business um how did you get started in prince george well you know i came here um after i graduated i'm originally from williams lake uh, my family I grew up in williams lake and i graduated uh, high school in williams lake i came here because my wife lived here and uh, we met through um uh you know a salvation army uh, children's camp and uh we were both teenagers, fell in love, and I, I came here. She was still in she was still in high school, and so um, I came here and, and found a job here, and ended up connecting with some friends here, and ended up staying here. And and then eventually, uh, you know, I, I did some other jobs. I worked at the jail for a while, and I, I did a couple group homes, and um, started uh, started a social worker degree, which most people don't know about me, which seems kind of weird, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, and then I ended up in business, and I actually ended up in business. I always knew that I would probably end up in some form of business because I, I come from a fairly entrepreneurial family. Um, but um, I actually ended up in business because uh, I was uh, I was off for the summer while I was in college, taking my uh, my first year of my social worker degree, and I needed I needed a job, and I couldn't find a job, and so uh, I found this carpet cleaning uh, ad. Fellow was selling a carpet cleaning business, and I ended up talking to him, and and that spawned into my first business, which was Carpet Doctor, um, and I ran that for about uh, twelve years or so, and, and expanded that across northern BC, and then eventually I made the transition into uh, gas stations, and, and that's kind of where we're at now. And now we made the transition from gas stations into development. Yes, yes, and so um, that that is interesting. I don't think I knew that about you. I uh, about you starting a social work degree. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was my first passion. I I worked at uh, a number of group homes, and then uh, I was going to become a social worker. My, actually, my sister, both me and my sister, uh, my middle sister, which is uh, you know she's older, but uh, she's she's a social worker now. 
And my mom was actually, uh, she was, uh, she worked for the government as a financial assistant worker. They all started after I started. And, um, we were all in that same kind of, uh, same kind of niche. And then, then I spawned off of that. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, let's, um, let's, uh, begin just talking a little bit about, about your project here. That, um, I mean, it's, it hit the news the last few days. Um, and just tell me a little bit about what your plans, what you are, uh, planning to do up in the heart with this pro- this property at seven one seven seven one seven one seventy one seventy one Hart Highway, uh, which is close by the Day and Night Foods there. So, what are your plans there? What uh, I know that previously you had uh, different proposals up before the city, but now you've got this one. And what are your plans, and why do you think it's going to succeed? So, um, you know, we've always we've always wanted to bring an apartment pod complex to the hearts. Um, there is, you know, and, and this isn't just uh, because I want apartments. This is an, a need that uh, came to our attention quite some time ago, mostly through staff. Uh, staff at, our, at our, our gas stations in the heart couldn't find anywhere to live and, and stay. So a lot of them are staying in town because they can't find apartments. The only apartment building in the heart is you know, 35 years old and it's full. And uh, there just hasn't been any, uh, any, any action on that. So we started with we started looking for properties that uh, could house something like that. We ended up with uh, Sparwood Landing, which, uh, as most people know, we brought that to council a couple of years ago. Now it was outside the box, and I agree it was outside the box, but it was a 16-acre parcel, and we thought that uh, it would make a great apartment complex. Um, the city didn't agree with us, and in the end, um, yeah, it got shot down. So after that, our, our number two spot was the site that we're at right now. And uh, this uh, fulfills everything that the city didn't like about Sparwood Landing. Um, it fulfills everything on this site, which is uh, um, city transit uh, forward-facing on a busy street, Ontario Road. Um, and this has all of that, plus it has an additional, um, which the Sparwood didn't have, which is the commercial aspect. So this property is already zoned commercial, um, So, which is your higher-end zoning. And so all we're doing is tweaking that zoning a little bit um, to a C2, which allows apartments above the above the uh, commercial. And then we've also added some RM5, which is uh, apartments, which is actually a downgrade from commercial. Okay. Well, I mean, that's um, building apartments above retail has always seemed to me to be a very smart thing to do. Um, I mean, you go into any big city and, you know, you're walking downtown and that's what you see, right? You see there's retail at the bottom and then upstairs there's, I mean, you know, however many stories you've got apartments. Um, so this, this would be going into a place that's been, uh, uh, vacant and just trees for a number of years. Um, what has your, like, are, have you been able to gauge the, um, the public response and, and we'll just have time for a short reply and then we have to go to break. But what's, what's been the initial response, uh, from the public about this? Very positive. I don't think I've had, uh, any, anybody that didn't like the idea. Um, I think everybody likes the idea. And everybody understands the need. So, um, yeah, it's been very positive. Yep. Okay. Well, and that's, I mean, I was, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, pretty, pretty excited to see that this was actually going forward. And, um, oh, so, okay. I, I messed up there. We still have a few minutes here. So with the, have you done any of the preliminary work that that I know I know that with the Sparwood uh, plan that you had done some preliminary work in the neighborhood to gauge support and have you done any of that kind of thing here for this one? 
We haven't done that, mainly just because um, it came out uh, checking all the boxes, and uh, the city supported it right from the get-go. Um, and so I don't, I don't think that, uh, you know, if you're looking at a parcel that uh, is, you know, you're going to use for commercial and apartments, this, this is the parcel. If uh, this doesn't go through, there's, there's something wrong with our system. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. Um, so right now, the name of it is North North Side Crossing. Is that sort of going to be the name of it uh, over time? It is. Yeah, North Side Crossing, and then uh, I don't know the road coming into the project might might uh, get a name, but I think uh, for now the the first building is uh, sixty apartments above uh, ten commercial units, almost like a strip mall kind of style with uh, four stories of apartments above, and then there's some room for some standalone commercial. Oh, and another five or six buildings there. Okay, so you said the first building will have about sixty apartments, and then sorry, yeah. and then you broke out a little bit. So, what was the second part of that? So, sixty apartments above ten commercial units. Yep, um, that'll look kind of like a strip mall kind of deal with you know five stories high. Right. And the uh, the next couple buildings are apartments only. Uh huh. And then and then there's some depending on how the commercial demand is. Yep. Uh, there's some more room for another three or four uh, standalone commercial or with commercials with apartments above. Okay, so how are, how are you going to solve... I mean, this is something that I've noticed of uh, living in uh, in the heart. I mean, we live in Salmon Valley, and and one thing that I've seen a lot happen in the heart is there's build businesses that start up, and I'm thinking maybe it's because rent is a little bit lower in the heart, but then eventually they leave. And how... And the reasons for leaving, I've heard, are, are various, like, you know, either the... Um, you know, the building is, is poor or, you know, most of their clients or from downtown, like how do you think that you will be able to solve that problem? Well, I think the the biggest problem in in with commercial in the heart is there isn't any properties that are newer in nature that uh, can support a business going forward. Um, you know, you have a mall, and you know the mall is fairly cheap in rent, but uh, you know it's a mall that's been there for thirty years, and it doesn't have a lot of the infrastructure and services that you would you would want in a in a in a newer property. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, there's enough, like when you look at the demographics in the heart, the, the heart has uh, the highest per capita income. Um, there's enough. There's enough people. There's enough demographic in the heart to support um, a small city. Um, there's no reason why there shouldn't be the same kind of development they see in College Heights in in the heart. Um, the, the biggest reason is there just hasn't been any property that's been available that uh, will attract those high quality. Um, tenants, uh, they they want something new. They want a building that's you know is new, and then they want to lease that for five, ten years, and then and then build a business there. Hmm. Well, that's that's interesting. So the uh, I didn't know that about the heart. I I, I assumed sort of that the heart uh, had a generally lower income, but but per capita, you say it's it's one of the higher ones in Prince George. It's the highest per capita income. Really? Was and then if you take it outside of the city it gets even higher because the rural areas typically have a higher income and that's uh, generally people like who are living on acreages that kind of thing exactly hmm. so if you look at the demographics um the the heart has the highest you know per income it's also got the the highest uh, house house rate or did it for a while there for the house prices um but you know the college heights does have a higher median but the the actual highest one comes from the heart. Okay, so um, with with um, so what type of businesses are you sort of thinking you'll be able to attract there? 
we're looking for supportive businesses that are going to be supportive to the area in general. So, um, you know, the apartments. Um, so we're looking at things that you're not seeing in the heart right now. Um, there's no fitness. Um, there's no uh, <laughs> active gyms or anything in the heart. Yep. Uh, there's no doctor's offices. Uh, there's no no clinics in, in the heart. There's some dentist offices, but there's no doctor's offices. Um, there's nothing. Um, there's, there's there's no real besides Tim Hortons. There's no other little uh, niche coffee markets uh, stuff like that. We're looking for things that are going to be supportive to the area, but not. Uh, we're not looking at attracting other businesses that are already in the heart. We're looking at attracting newer businesses and maybe some some franchise outlets that want to stand alone like a burger joint or something like that, uh, mm-hmm. that will also support the area. Um, well, and that just reminds me about your skill as a retailer. I, I've always been impressed at your ability to read the market and to sort of figure out um, how to attract customers and what like what customers need and want and, and your ability to provide that. So um, that that's just, I, I just think, I, you know, because I, I my background isn't from retail at all, uh, I've just always been fascinated by your ability to manage that world. Uh, so uh, with with apartments, like who who are you expecting to um, move in? I think you're, you know every every apartment's going to be accessible. Um, so you know it'll have uh, handrails and grips, and the doors will be bigger, and you'll have lever. These are all accessible standards that. Uh, Typically, the city has laid out as accessibility for seniors, for anybody with disabilities. Um, they'll all have elevators. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're looking at attracting, you know, we know that the, the population is aging, um, that you're going to have people that want to transfer, you know, say from an owned property to maybe a rental property, um, and then they can cash in, you know, some of their, you know, some of their equity in their houses. Um, there's, there's also going to be room for students. There'll also be room for families. There'll be a combination of uh, three bedroom units all the way down to one bedroom units. Okay, and so and these are rentals, not not condo style, right? One hundred percent rental. Um, the whole property be uh, rental right into it. Um, this will, you know, we might we might at some point in time stratify the property. We haven't really gone down that path, but the first building will be one hundred percent rental. And I don't think you'll see condos there at all. It'll all be rental. Okay. And so, what about uh, what about parking? And and I know that this is on a transit route, which was a big deal for the Sparrow development. Um, are you still going to be providing on-site parking for for those people? Yeah. So underground parking. Uh, this property is a little bit better than the Sparrowwood property. It has uh, better drainage, and you're closer to uh, City Storm. Um, so there will be underground parking for all the residents that live there. Um, There'll be 40 units in each building, and then there'll be surface parking for any of the uh, commercial units as well as the overflow for the tenants. Hmm. Well, that just sounds really interesting. So um, are you expecting, like, is it going to be affordable, though, like for somebody who, you know, works maybe like at your gas stations or at the library or something like that? Um, are they going to be able to afford to live there, or is it going to be, you know, are people going to have to maybe do co-housing, that kind of thing? You know, I, you know, I guess how do you define affordable? Like, um, if you define affordable as in what it was like 20 years ago, no, it's not going to be those rents. Is it going to be uh, the current rents? Yeah, it's going to be current market rents. Um, there might be uh, a few units set aside that will be, you know, lower than market rents, depending on where we get our financing from, because there, there are a number of uh, um, stipulations with the National Housing uh, Financing Association, which is where we're bringing some of our financing from. Um, so depending on how we do that and how it's rolled out, but, 
yeah, they're going to be market rent. So if you're paying, you know, $1,500 for a two-bedroom basement suite currently, uh, this will probably be around the same price. Okay. Um, but the, the idea is that the, the, these units will all be air-conditioned. They'll be high efficiency. Um, so, I mean, you know, you're going to get a newer building and, you know, along with that, a newer amenities as long as well. Right. And that's, you've uh, touched on an interesting thing there with the uh, financing and like, how, what is the market like uh, for, like, what are you hearing from, 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 I guess, I mean, where do you get your financing? Is that banks or other venues these days? So, you know, we, we haven't finalized the financing portion. We've had some conversations, but um, there is a program with CMHC and it's called, uh, it's funded through the National Housing um, national housing strategy uh, on Canada, and that's where most of your newer apartment buildings are getting their funding from. Uh, they, you know, they they see the the need. So typically, when there's a housing housing study done in an area, like there was recently, every every area has a housing study done every five years. Um, so Prince George just completed one, and that study found that they, you know they're going to be five thousand homes short. Um, you know, to to maintain the current population. So when there's a housing study like that, then CMHC steps in and they provide funding. Um, they actually provide insurance for the the bank that does the funding, and um, and that helps uh, developers like me get funding that's needed at, at a favorable rates, uh, longer amortization than what you would normally get in a, in a residential mortgage, and um, you know lower down payment. So it just helps with the funding. They know that it's going to be a revenue producing, and they want to. They want to get those things happening. And then if you don't qualify for those types of loans, there are other banks out there. Uh, we predominantly deal with uh, Canadian Western Bank. They're a development bank. Uh, we've had a really good relationship with them over the years, and they, they, they love to do this kind of stuff. So, All right. Okay, well, it's time for, uh, for a break, and we'll be back after about a minute or two. Hello, I'm Carlos Núñez, the Galician Piper. Hey, this is Tim Brennan with the Dropkick Murphys. Hey, this is Dave King from Flag and Molly. Sean Smith from Lunasat. Karen Casey here. This is Ian Byrne from The Elders. Join me, Patricia Fraser, for the best Celtic music mix. Kelton a Twist, Canada's contemporary Celtic radio hour. Kelton a Twist with your host, Patricia Fraser. Tuesday nights at 8 following Fiddle Fest with AJ here on 93.1 CFISFM. Tops and Bottoms continues to provide the women of Prince George with great support. Make an appointment today and take advantage of their unsurpassed one-on-one fitting service. Tops and Bottoms will make sure that your bra is comfortable and fits you well. Need a new bra? No problem. Make an appointment online at topsandbottoms.ca or call 250-614-1553. Tops and Bottoms, great support for the women of Prince George. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles Monday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturdays from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as there's always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open Monday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. Forecast from Environment Canada. Morning fog passes, then mainly cloudy today. Winds from the southeast at 20 starting this afternoon at a high of 16. Partly cloudy tonight. Southeast winds becoming light this evening, a low of 8. For Friday, cloudy. A few showers beginning in the morning and a high of 14. 
You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back here with Bruce Kidd, uh, developer from the Hart Highway. Uh, so, Bruce, one question that, uh, or one thing that we touched on a little bit was your your skill at retail. And uh, and just during the break here, someone was asking about, uh, to, to know a little bit more about that. And... Uh, I mean, I mean, I just, I just have seen you, uh, how you were, have been, I mean, well, let me backtrack a little bit here. You took a, I, th- what was the name of that? It was a, it used to be a gun store on the corner of Chief Lake and the Hard Highway, right? Yeah, it was called Northland Sports, uh, Ziggy used to, used to run that for a number of years. Yes, and I remember that building. It was just a concrete block building, and it stood empty there for years and years. And uh, when when I first heard that you had planned to, to uh, buy that and build a gas station there, I thought, well, golly, how are you going to attract anybody to come there? Yeah, you're, you're not the only one. Uh, I, I uh, raised some eyebrows in the fuel, the fuel business. A lot of the established retailers were wondering what we were doing. Um, but... Uh, you know, I actually that that building and that location was actually my wife's idea. We were actually on our way to your house at one time, and uh, we were looking for a new location. We we had just uh, we were retailers at the Husky on the other side of town in the BCR. Yes. Yeah. And um, um, so we didn't like the arrangement that we had with Husky, um, which was uh, you know uh, they owned the site and we operated it. So it just gotten rebuilt, and they changed the rates and. So we wanted to uh, maybe look at getting our own, and so we were actually on our way out to one of your one of your at your house, one of your guys' events there. And my wife said, "Oh, what about this property?" And then uh, I said, "Oh," and then we kind of went from there, and we ended up doing a deal with Ziggy, and I did some numbers on it, and it's actually been a really good site for us. Yes, and you've, uh, I mean, you completely changed the look of that corner, and uh, and I and just, I mean. It's such a nice way to enter Prince George now compared to that poor old empty building that used to stand there. Um, and how how has it been? Like, have you been able to attract the business that you needed uh, to make that a viable operation? Yeah, well, you know, that, that site is your number one retail site in, in Prince George. And it's, it's held that site for a while. Um, the only the only retail sites that uh, to beat it out are Costco and uh, Superstore. Um, like- it's continued to... Uh, attract uh, you know we saw a need we lived in that area we at that time we lived at chief lake and and uh we knew that that was a, just a natural stopping spot as you transition from chief lake to the highway 97 and uh and and you know obviously my my gut was right and the numbers the numbers show it today and so when you say retail you're comparing it like you mean by gas volume yeah yeah so by gas volume that's your number one um site out of any of the other retail besides the big chains like uh, Superstore and Costco. Okay. And and so how, what do you think, um, like how, how did you gain that? Um, because I mean, you know, to say that you're, you're up there with Costco and Superstore, I think you said they were the only two that were higher. Correct. Uh, so how did you manage that? I mean, you're just a little guy from Prince George. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really about having uh, its location. It's about timing. Um, you know, at the time, uh, the competition around the heart weren't open 24 hours. Um, we came out of the gate 24 hours a day, pay at the pump. Um, we concentrated on marked fuels. Um, we made the site easy to get in. Uh, we changed the, the product uh, in the store to, to accommodate customers and what they were looking for. It's just about listening um, to what the customers want. But you know, ultimately, any gas station 
um, is based on the location, right? It all comes down to location. And location, 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 everything else comes in after. But you can't... Uh, you can't hide a bad location, and nothing, you know, nothing will do better than a than a good location. So, how do you get people to change their habits? Because, like, I'm just thinking of this new development that you're proposing. Um, you know, a lot of people are used to maybe, like, for instance, like for a medical like clinic, uh, you know, they go downtown. And I mean, I remember when we used to have a medical clinic in the heart, and like, how um, how do you get people to change their habits? Because I'm thinking that before you had your gas station on the corner of Chief Lake there, um, that people were fueling up elsewhere. And, and how do you get people to change their habits? And, and especially in the heart where, you know, we seem to have, you know, we've got our, we've got our save on there. We've got the Tim Hortons. We've got the hardware. Uh, and there's a few other stores. But how do you change, uh, and not that, but how do you change the mindset in the heart that, hey, you know what? We've got most things that we need up here. You know, I, I think it, it's not about trying to change. It's just about trying to offer what they want. Ah. So, I mean, um, I would rather, you know, if I'm going to a medical clinic, I'd rather stay in the heart than go downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want to get lumber, I would rather get lumber in the heart than to go all the way downtown. And I, and I think 85% of the people that you would ask would rather, you know, especially with the gas prices they are today, would rather stay closer to home and have services closer to home than to have to travel into town. Well, yes, yes, and you've just touched on one of your most recent uh, developments is uh, creating that or setting up that uh, timber mart in the heart, right? Correct. Yeah. And how and how's that going as a retail concern for you? For us, it's it's doing great. Um, You know, and it's it's providing a need that was not being uh, served in the heart, and um, yeah, and and it supports our construction. Like you know, I don't know if most people know, but we we build you know. 12 to 15 houses a year, mostly in the heart, um, in that area, and along with our development company. And this, uh, we were having problems finding product, um, getting product, and getting you know, uh, and getting access to product with this whole COVID issue. And so that brought to light that uh, you know we needed to get access to more product. The only way that we could get access to more product was to become a, a retailer and to get in and to get in with a retail chain that would uh, that already had access to that product, and then we could get you know, on their allocations. And so that's what we ended up doing. Well, I was actually just at a talk uh, this morning talking about, you know, the whole supply chain issues. And so you've actually just sort of found a solution to that yourself. We had to. We had no no other choice. Like, uh, you know, last year we couldn't get the foundation blocks. We couldn't get interior doors. Um, we just couldn't get the supply we needed from the local retailers, uh, mainly because so what, so what, what happened with COVID is that... Uh, each supplier that was supplying products, so, um, you know, Logix or uh, MyTree that supplies our doors, they would have a certain amount that they were supplying, and, and the major retailers got an allocation. So the Ronas, the Home Depots, the Home Hardware's all got an allocation from them so that they continued supplying the market but didn't get as much as they wanted. Um, so then if you didn't, those allocations came to those retailers, and then those retailers would allocate to their contractors whatever they needed. Um, but by doing this, we, we skipped the line of the contractor allocation and we went right to the retailer because now we're a retailer, so now we can buy directly from the mill. We buy directly from Lakeland. We buy directly from West Fraser, whereas before they won't deal with a contractor 
um, they want to deal with a retailer, right? Right. Okay. Well, our time is up, Bruce. I've uh, I've just got to say I just have always admired your um, your vision and your ability to find solutions and uh, and to problems. <laughs> uh, and I just really wish you all the best. Do you know when this is coming to council? Oh, got five second answer. Sorry, what was the question? Do you know when your uh, the project is going? The proposal is going to come before council. I heard that it's coming to council in the end of, uh, later part of June, is what I've, I've been told. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Bruce, and I wish you all the best. You're welcome. Thanks. Beat the bugs this year by making a personalized natural repellent. Learn how during an evening workshop, June 3rd, at the Two Rivers Art Gallery. Using essential oils like citronella, lavender, lemongrass, tea tree, and eucalyptus, you'll create your own recipe in a take-home diffuser bottle and sew together a cloth bracelet to soak up your favorite repellent. Led by the former forester and local artist Sebastian Nicholson, register at Two Rivers Art Gallery, a natural bug repellent workshop, 6.30, June 3rd, at Two Rivers Art Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Explore practices that support the successful engagement of skilled volunteers June 29th through Vantage Point. With engaging skilled volunteers, you'll learn how to plan for, attract, and engage skilled volunteers or knowledge philanthropists in your work. Registration and full details are available through the calendar link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Connect with the abundance of talent in your community. Engaging skilled volunteers, Tuesday, June 9th from 9 to noon through thevantagepoint.ca. World Schizophrenia and Psychosis Awareness Day is Tuesday, May 24th, and the BC Schizophrenia Society invites you to participate in this year's Bust a Schizophrenia Myth campaign or hashtag Trivia Tuesday Contest. You're also invited to attend Schizophrenia Revealed, the untold stories of schizophrenia, on Wednesday, May 25th. Details for all events and resources are available at bcss.org. World Schizophrenia and Psychosis Awareness Day, Tuesday, May 24th. Take part this year virtually. Engage your board and align their work with organizational values and vision with Vantage Point's Board Fundamentals, Roles and Responsibilities. A highly effective and engaged board has clarity around roles and responsibilities and aligns their work and performance with organizational values and vision. Registration, cost, and full details are available through the calendar link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Board Fundamentals, Roles and Responsibilities, May 31st from 530 to 8.30 through thevantagepoint.ca. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, Trudy Clausen here, back with my next guest this morning, uh, Sean Simmons. Welcome, Sean. Thank you, Trudy. And uh, Sean is here to talk about, um, I think you're the president? Correct. Of the Prince George branch of the Canadian Institute... Oh, golly, I've, now I've lost the name. Canadian International Council. Canadian International Council, that's right. Okay, and uh, so when I first heard that, I was like, what is that? And so can you explain a little bit, but how about first, before you do that? No, let's, let's yeah, let's talk about Canadian International Council yeah. first. Okay, we've got, I've got those words right now. Okay, maybe I'll, I'll start by giving a little bit of background on how I got into this, because I'm a, probably as far removed from international affairs as one can imagine. I run a fishing website called the Angler's Atlas, so so it's a bit of a stretch uh, for me coming here. But how I got in, involved with this is I was in Victoria for two years prior to COVID, 
and I got introduced to the Canadian International Council in Victoria. And they held this event called Politics in the Pub. And anything associated with politics and pub I thought was fascinating. So so I, I signed up, went to the uh, first meeting, and it was um, uh, a talk on Mali. And they were talking about, uh, you know, Canadian Canada's involvement in Mali, and uh, and then the questions from the audience started to emerge. And a person that stood up was the person that actually replaced Romeo Dallaire in Rwanda. I thought, well, that's interesting. And the more I got to know a lot of the people involved, you had former ambassadors, you had Mark Lorty, uh, you've got um, Phil Calvert, who's actually uh, uh, born and raised in Prince George, who was a a former ambassador to Cambodia, Thailand, and Laos, and deputy ambassador to our uh, embassy in China. And I thought, well, isn't it fascinating to be able to have conversations with these people, sit across from the table and actually <laughs> engage them, ask them questions? And so that was really sort of my, my introduction to CIC. And then I, I moved back to Prince George uh, in, um, I guess it was June 2020. Uh, just as COVID was hitting, I was lamenting uh, to my wife, Kathy, about... Uh, how, you know, as much as I love Prince George and I lo- love the the outdoors and the wilderness and the community here, I really lost that connection with these people who have these international stories to tell. And at a time, certainly, I think COVID accelerated for a lot of us the, the, the challenges we see, the shifts in the global uh, 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 geopolitical sphere. I thought... Um, it's it's unfortunate that I don't have access to that. And she suggested, well, why don't I start up a branch here? And it was just as I was getting ready to argue with her about that point, I realized, <laughs> you know, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, just just be argumentative and then go. Wait a minute, I thought, well, that that was a really good idea. Uh, <laughs> so, but how did you get to that first pub night? Oh, uh, you said politics in the pub. Politics in the pub. So how did you get invited to one of those? Uh, Just by chance. uh, When I was down in Victoria, it was just temporary. I was just uh, renting a house, and the lady I was renting a house from, she was a member, and and we were talking. She said, you'd probably be really interested in this. So I thought, I'll show up and see what I think. So it was just by chance. Oh. So you would be interested by this. Was it because you'd already had conversations about geopolitical matters, or was it just because she thought, okay, here's a living human breathing human being, uh, I'll invite you. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly because I'm a news junkie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right, and she figured that out. Um, Well, that's interesting. Um, So, I mean, there's local connection, um, and you've started the Prince George branch. Correct. Um, And so since the pandemic, what have you been able to, have you been able to get anywhere? I mean, for a lot of people, the pandemic represented loss, uh, Mm -hmm. but for the Canadian International Council here in Prince George, do you think you've seen growth or how's that been? Well, I guess starting from zero, yeah, certainly there's been (laughs) growth. Uh, I think the the first, the the, the thing that really helped sort of kick things off was I reached out to a lot of the people that I knew uh, previously uh, before I left Prince George uh, and... um, and so reached out to the university. I've got strong connections with the university. I'm a former grad from UNBC, not in political science, in, in a subject called limnology, which is study of lakes. But but I, I know a lot of the people up there. And, and so I reached out and just said, who would be a good contact? And I got introduced to Jacqueline Haller. Who, she's chair of international studies. So I said, uh, be great to meet you and and, uh, and uh, brought her on board. I also know John Kaysen, uh, a local. Uh, uh, he was uh, worked or I, I was involved with him with the... Uh, uh, Central Innovation, uh, uh, the the Innovation Council here, and so I thought John would be natural, especially since he's got a connection with Rotary, and uh, and invited a few other people. But basically, we just formed sort of an executive around that, 
and uh, and then it was just okay. Let's get some talks going. So that's when I reach out to my counterpart in Victoria. The, there's so there's 18 branches around the country, including uh, headquarters. I think it's based in either Ottawa or, or uh, Toronto. They bounce back and forth. Uh, but the president of CIC Canada is Ben Roswell, former ambassador to Venezuela, and uh, the CIC president in Victoria, um, uh, Chris Kilford. Uh, he's really served as a mentor to really get me familiar with the network, figuring out how to, how to sort of bring on uh, bring on some top-tier, high-caliber speakers. And he's the one that introduced me to Phil Calvert, who had a natural connection already with Prince George. So it was like, well, there's a natural first talk, a Prince George connection with somebody who's served as ambassador and deputy ambassador in Southeast Asia. So what an amazing first talk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like... I mean, these people exist in a realm that we sort of just like look at from, you know, here in little tiny Prince George. Um, how, so what about CIC? How did, how did it, like, what is, um, like, what is it and, and why? And, and what, what are the reasons for its uh, existence? Sure. Yeah, so what our goal here is primarily to, it's nonpartisan, uh, nonprofit organization. Our goal is to bring in high-caliber speakers who are pretty much already embedded within the network of CIC. Like, mm-hmm. as I was mentioning, you've got these, you know, former admirals of, of the Navy, uh, former military leaders, former ambassadors, uh, people and, with and extensive why, why experience. Former? Why former? Well, mostly because, well, I guess they're not all former. Yeah. But most of them that I have met so far are retired, which is an advantage because when you're retired, you're stepped away. So you're not uh, faced with the same constraints you are yes. as when you're an acting ambassador. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because when you're an acting ambassador, you have to always worry about, you know, the, your host country being Correct. listening in and going, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, I mean, that's, that's really interesting. And, and I would, I would guess that most people in those fields um, don't retire when they're like very old. Um, you know, for lack of a better way to say that. Um, and so they still have a lot to offer and there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, so are most of them retired or are most of them still working in the, in the fields in some way? It's interesting because there's also the, um, in addition to the, to those, um, uh, sort of general fields that I described, there's also a lot of foreign correspondents. So for example, Jonathan Manthorpe, uh, he was a, a foreign correspondent in, uh, in, uh, I think based out of Hong Kong for Southern News and, and Hollinger after that. And, uh, uh, Nathan Vanderclip, for example, we featured in, in January and he's currently, uh, still active, uh, actively, uh, 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 foreign correspondent, although he's moved from China now to to the U.S. And so I guess in that respect, those people are still practicing. Okay. All right. Well, it's time for a break. We'll be back soon. The IG Wealth Management Walk for Alzheimer's returns this Sunday. Gather your friends and family to celebrate and remember people in your lives who have been affected by dementia. Participate to raise valuable funds and bring us one step closer to a dementia-friendly BC. For more information or to register for this year's Prince George Walk, click through to the Northern BC page at walkforalzheimers.ca. The IG Wealth Management Walk for Alzheimer's, 1 o'clock Sunday at the YMCA of Northern BC. The City of Prince George and the Prince George Council of Seniors is excited to announce the return of the Golden Age Social. The free afternoon senior social at the Prince George Conference and Civic Centre will return in October with one in each month until next March. For more information, call the Prince George Council of Seniors at 250-564-5888. The return of the Golden Age Social, Wednesday, October 12th from 2 to 4 at the Civic Centre. 
The first of a planned series of videos explaining the work of the Indigenous Education Leadership Table is now available on YouTube. The Leadership Table is a groundbreaking collaboration between School District 57, the McLeod Lake Indian Band, and the Lady Latine First Nation. All three parties now meet on a regular basis to ensure there is face-to-face respect, meaningful consultation, and ever-evolving understanding in carrying out the work of education. To view the video, search for Indigenous Education Leadership Table at youtube.com. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly cloudy. Wind from the southeast at 20K starting this afternoon, a high of 16. Tonight, partly cloudy. Southeast winds becoming light this evening, a low of 8. On Friday, cloudy, a few showers beginning in the morning, and a high of 14. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, I'm uh, Trudy here, back with Sean Simmons of the local Canadian International Council. And so we've talked a little bit about who they are, but uh, for local people, um, why should they bother engaging and what's the what's what's in it i mean i I know that you've you know i mean there's a lot of huge names you've got here so what's in it for the average person who's you know maybe a little bit interested in in international affairs and you know watches the news and go listens to one you know i I mean with the changing media landscape it's like okay who (laughs) there's so many options out there and and so why should they consider cic yeah, I guess a, a good starting point was why does it matter to me and then see if it okay. re- similar reflection out to everyone else. So I know I'm really interested in, in the world and especially, I'd say the last five years, but especially since the pandemic, you've seen a massive geopolitical shift taking place and there's huge uncertainty. And for a person like me, I, I find I'm very curious about this. And I find, like you were saying, the media, uh, the fragmentation, uh, limited to small sound bites. I don't find I get enough out of those, you know, clips that you'd see on the news. No, and you or always feel like that there's like biases, like huge biases, and 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 just maybe just a lot of agenda pushing rather than actual stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and not an opportunity for me to actually ask a question yeah. and to actually be be part of a, a, a long, more more of a long form type of dialogue. I find even with a with with, with uh, somebody that comes in with a specific bias, if I can be there for an hour, hour and a half, listening to them talk, and then being able to engage them with questions, you can ask these people questions. Bingo! And really? that's one of the really big oh draws goodness. is you get to engage them. That you actually can have conversations with them, and that's one of the things about politics and the public what was really appealing. Not only do you go for uh, uh, a politics in the pub session where in Victoria it'd be like there's 50 people and they have a speaker. Anyone that wanted to afterwards would go to dinner with the speaker. And so you get a small group of six or 12. I remember great conversations with... um, well, with Jonathan Manthorpe when he was uh, presenting a uh, uh, Claus the Panda's book and sitting right beside him and actually having real in-depth discussions, and so it allowed me. Was, you know, I'm fairly isolated. I don't have a, a strong uh, international connection, but I'm curious about these things to engage uh, these people and ask them questions, see if my ideas are crazy or if they align a little bit, or what can I learn from from that. Huh. And so. That may be the draw. I think there's a, I think there's a big appetite for this because certainly I think we, we've had a number of, of talks. Uh, we've had two talks with Winston's now. Uh, and I think there seems to be a lot of appetite for uh, this, this long form engaging discussion with people who have this incredible worldly experience. So you're not relying on that television anchor that's giving you a five minute blurb with possibly a bias or, but, but really also not able to really delve deeply into these topics. No, and, and yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm just thinking, so what's in it for the people that are 
like jo- Jonathan Mayerthorpe, who wrote Claws of the Panda. What's in it for him? I mean, I know that it's publicity, but is it is there more to it than that? I get the impression that this is a volunteer organization, so you're touching something more than sort of a you know a, a financial need for them or a need to to promote. Certainly, uh, promotion, getting your name out there, is, is important. But I believe. Uh, and, and this is just me, I haven't surveyed or have anything concrete on this, but my opinion is that this is something that matters to all these people. I mean, they've invested their whole careers in international affairs, whether it be in the military, whether it be in government, whether it be in media, or whatever uh, avenue of international nonprofits that you've been involved with. It's something that's core to your being. And so being able to contribute and give back, I think, and, and participate, still still being an active participant in it. Those are sort of my initial thoughts. I could be totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, and, I, and I'm just sort of picturing it as, as someone, like almost as a... As a, I mean, a, a bit of a like of a war hero coming back and telling his stories, uh, in a, in a sense, right? Or like maybe Grandpa being able to tell his stories, or someone having gone on a huge adventure adventure and being able to come back and tell their stories in a collected way. Uh, that's what it's uh, like aspects of that, and I think it's it's fascinating that we're getting back to maybe doing more long form interviews more long long form talks and making that more accessible and i think that's one of the things that i see happening in the media landscape that is actually a hopeful thing because it seems to me that we've gone so many years i mean i i think i've grown up in all that era of uh golly i mean how many years has it been like the five or ten second sound clip right or the sound bite and and we're sort of getting tired of that and so i'm i'm excited to see this so um uh for for Prince George, for the Prince George chapter particularly, have you have been been able to have any live events yet, other than the ones like you had? Well, no, you've come to Winston's both times. It was uh, virtual, right? Uh, yeah, both times are virtual, but they were in person. Uh, so that's actually uh, we just had a meeting uh, two nights ago with the executive just to talk about what some interesting topics would be, and we're looking. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we can do at least two in-person events. So ideally, bring someone up. And I know we've got some conversations with the former ambassador from Sri Lanka and Afghanistan. I don't know if we can uh, find a way to bring her up, but that Shelley Whiting would be amazing if we could in person. Uh, certainly Chris Kilford's offered to come up. Uh, he's the president of the Victoria branch and, and he's got a really interesting history in Turkey. He was a military attache in, served in Turkey and in Afghanistan as well. And so he's got a uh, really interesting background in the Middle East as well, especially when you think about, uh, you know, one of the topics that we're exploring is the, 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 the resurgence or the reinvigoration of, of NATO with the, uh, acquire basically two new countries, uh, seeking to join, but Turkey is now digging in its heels. And there is, I think, uh, a veto power with all countries in NATO. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, that changes uh, as, as we, we move forward and what that relationship looks like with Russia and Ukraine. Okay. And so they're both considering coming up, or is it just a matter of you being able to find a time that works for them and the resources to bring them up. Yeah, we've just started planning. Resources are certainly an issue, but it's also, uh, this is all volunteer, so you've got to really want it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have to find people that really want to do it. All right. Okay. Well, it's, uh, we'll be, I'll, we'll take a break here. We're talking with Sean Simmons of CIC. The City of Prince George is offering a new grant for not-for-profit agencies to hire people who have lived in or are living in poverty. The new Peers Employment and Encouraging Resiliency Grant is a short-term project funded by the Union of BC Municipalities. 
The city is seeking applications from not-for-profit organizations that create barrier-free, safe, and inclusive employment. Full details are available through the Grants and Financial Assistance page under City Services at PrinceGeorge.ca. The city will be accepting applications until October 1st. The Alzheimer's Society of B.C. has continuing online dementia education programs. These free presentations offer small group information workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussion. Explore the benefits of meaningful activities for families affected by dementia with activities for warmer weather today from 2 to 3.30. Registration and full details on this and other sessions are available through alzbc.org. More information is also available through the First Link Dementia Helpline at one 800 936 Amplify your organization with Vantage Points Advocacy 101. Learn how to create change when you don't have the resources or authority to make the change yourself. In this three-hour workshop, you'll clarify your advocacy goals, develop an advocacy strategy, and build confidence to engage your community in advocacy work. Registration and more details are available through the events calendar at vantagepoint.ca. The Vantage Points Advocacy 101 workshop, 9 till noon, Thursday, June 23rd, via Zoom. Every Tuesday through June 9th, BC Schizophrenia Society is posting a trivia question on social media. Answer the question each week and be entered into a draw for sweet BCSS swag items. By taking part, you'll be entered into a draw for a $50 Amazon gift card. The more weeks you participate, the more chances you have of winning. Follow BCSS on social media for your chance to play. Trivia Tuesday through June 9th from the BC Schizophrenia Society. A reason to hope, the means to cope. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, Trudy Claussen back with Sean Simmons of the Canadian International Council, Prince George branch. Uh, just between the break here, Sean was showing me uh, some flyers of the, of the speakers that he's had here in Prince George. And he's already talked about Phil Calvert, who's a former Prince George resident and uh, was uh, ambassador to Laos, you said? That's like that's so prestigious. But what are some of the other ones that you had? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So after after that, we had a really interesting talk on Indonesia. We brought on John Holmes and Mark. Uh, oh, what's Mark's last name? Mark Williams. He was is a prof out of uh, Vancouver Island University, and that's a, another uh, group that connect, connected a lot of academics and spoke on Indonesian. I mean, this I find this fascinating because I know very little about this stuff before the talk goes, and I spend quite a bit of time familiarizing myself. I had no idea. There, I think the largest Muslim population isn't in the Middle East, it's in Indonesia. And they are forecast to be the fourth largest economy in the world by 2050, and by 2030, they'll be fifth largest. So I think they passed Japan. So they're a really going concern, and they have had some struggles with with democracy and and a lot of of challenges to the democratic rule. So that was a really interesting conversation. We also featured... um, uh, well, Chris uh, Kilford uh, on a talk on Turkey because uh, uh, he spent time as a military attaché in both Turkey and Afghanistan and so has a lot of experience in the Middle East. Uh, then something close to my heart was uh, uh, U.S. debt and its implications around the world. And this was about a year, just over a year ago when there was this massive expansion of the monetary supply, massive indebtedness created, and, and it was like, well, what are the implications? <laughs> yeah, you hear all these different <laughs> things, and 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 most of the news is sort of positive about it because it means money in our pockets, usually, especially during the pandemic. So, how did that go? Well, that was fascinating. So, in that case, we brought in three three panelists: two from the U.S., one from the Brookings Institution, so a little left leaning; one from the uh, Center for Responsible Federal. 
budget, and that's on the right, uh, and that was Mark Goldwyn. And uh, and then from a Canadian perspective, we brought on Jack Mintz. And so it was just fascinating just to let that discussion flourish between the three of them. And you had very different opinions, you know, on uh, uh, on, on the left uh, with Louis Shiner and the Brookings Institute, uh, it was more predicting a soft landing. You know, we're going to borrow all this money that'll help get us through the pandemic and we'll softly land. And how are we doing? Yeah, the inflation seems <laughs> to be going through the roof and the landing seems a little shaky now. But those are interesting discussions to yes. have. And this was before the inflation really took off. So that mm-hmm. was that was a fascinating discussion. And then um, let's see, there was also a conversation. Oh, yeah, we had Phil Calvert back and he joined uh, with Jonathan Manthorpe, who is author of Claws of the Panda. And this was about trade with China. And uh, I, I guess the most interesting thing I thought that I learned with trade with China, it was the massive imbalance so that we purchased $75 billion worth of goods they purchased $25 billion from us. Mm-hmm. So not much of a trade balance. And that really was a, a big eye-opener for me, seeing how out of whack that that trade balance is. And uh, and and things like that are really interesting. I guess from from the perspective of, so what's in it for, for people, for Prince George, I guess, it's not really for everyone. This, this topic doesn't necessarily uh, gravitate uh, to everyone. But I think there's a large enough a contingent of uh, people in Prince George who are truly interested in these sorts of issues. And what we're hoping is to just provide them opportunities to participate in these uh, discussions, to, to listen to these speakers, and to also ask them questions. And you can actually ask questions. Yes. I mean, that's the part that I... <laughs> that I'm just like shocked at and apparently somebody um, watched the presentation you had at Winston's and I asked a question there and somebody told me later oh yeah I'd watch that and I saw you asking a question it's like seriously I mean I know I'd asked a question but it's like yeah you you actually get to do that I mean these are people that are normally out of reach in like I mean if we don't travel in those spheres these are not people that we see or are able to interact with yeah, and that's probably the biggest draw from my perspective is yeah. that I can actually have conversations. And I don't claim to be of great international experience, but I'm curious and I read a lot. And I think I think uh, a lot of people have questions about what they hear going on and to be able to ask somebody that's got real-world experience, either served, served on the ground as an ambassador or was in the military or was a foreign correspondent or has spent years researching mm-hmm. it. Uh, those are the those are the people I love talking to about these issues. Right now, we haven't touched on the most recent person that I've heard uh, CIC present, and that is the fellow from or the former Canadian ambassador to the Ukraine. So that was I found that highly interesting, and a little bit. I went home and I sort of told my husband, I said, "Yeah, honey, you're right." <laughs> And um, so can you tell me a little bit about him? And and, uh, I mean, if you care, like share a little bit about what he shared as well. Sure. Yeah. So Roman Waschuk is a former ambassador to Ukraine, uh, been involved with uh, global affairs for uh, many years since the 80s, spent time based in in Russia, uh, spent time with the UN on a lot of human rights uh, issues. And uh, he's a retired ambassador, but he is serving as the, uh, I think it's the business ombudsman uh, council in Ukraine and just started that before the war started, I think in the beginning of January. So he was back in Ukraine working on, on this. And it, it, I think it's, it primarily deals with corruption, the, the current position. And so he has a first hand experience right within the conflict right now. And uh, so I reached out and said, would he be willing to speak with CIC Prince George? And he said, sure. I know. Which I thought was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and it was just fascinating to hear him talk about how he had been, um, what did he call it, a UK DP or Ukrainian DP. His his parents had been displaced by Stalin, I think, yeah. and and he had always argued with his parents about no, no, we have to. Uh, um, you know, we have to move on and we just have to, you know, make, make, make friends with Russia. And, and it's like, and here he is and he's seeing, oh my goodness, Ukrainian territory destroyed or buildings, infrastructure and everything destroyed by the, by the Russians. And, and he was like, oh my goodness. Um, it's, it's very different than what he had spent his whole diplomatic life working on. That's right. I know when you when you hear uh, ambassadors speak, especially current ambassadors, they're very careful in their words yes. and very cautious on, on what they're willing to say, almost to the point where it's hard to understand and interpret cool. what some of them say. So it was fascinating to hear Roman talk about how, and I, I'm going to paraphrase, it's not exactly what he said, but nuance is dead. And to have a former ambassador speak in such yes. clear language and about the assault taking place on the U- Ukrainian people right now was really eye-opening. And he has an amazing history in terms of also having an educational background studying uh, Eastern Europe and uh, really understanding a lot of the history going back centuries. And so was able to sort of bring that and tie that together in in fairly clear words. And I, I found it, it was fascinating. And I, I got to ask one question. I went in there with about 20 questions, knowing <laughs> yes. that you can get one. And I was really curious about, because uh, uh, he, had, he had described... Um, the current situation about providing aid to Ukraine as palliative care. That was one of his interviews he did on CBC. And so I wanted to, you know, dive in a little bit deeper in that. And, and, and really palliative care meaning we'll provide enough aid so you don't completely die, but not enough aid to, to actually win. Yes. And so you're kind of caught in this, this, this no man's land. And so I was curious, well, what are the nations that are stepping up and who are the laggards? And it was interesting because I didn't re- realize Britain was lockstep uh, really supplying a lot of the key arms and, and providing a lot of that support uh, right off the bat. And as they were saying things in, in the parliament, they were also making actions simultaneously. Yes. And that was, I found that fascinating. And I, and I, you know, and, and Britain has its own reasons with the UK for, uh, for, uh, for doing that, which, but I think, I mean, Ukrainians will be happy for any help they get, right? Absolutely. So for the, uh, for a person here in Prince George listening and going, oh, that might be kind of interesting, what would you recommend they do? Well, the first thing is to go to our website, thecic.org, and that's for the, the whole organization, and you can sign up to become a member. Uh, once you're a member, you'll get our, our, our newsletters, and you can certainly reach out to me at any time. Uh, I think the contact's on there. Uh, if not, uh, I don't know, do you, can you post things on a website, or i got to spell it out? <laughs> Probably spell it out. Uh, give us the website again. Uh, the CIC dot org. The Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming in, Sean. And uh, hopefully you'll uh, hear back from people. So thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you, Trudy. After Nine is a daily presentation of CFIS FM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.